This morning we're going to talk about what the Bible teaches on the subject of baptism because in just two weeks we're going to have an outdoor baptism along with the barbecue. We call it a baptecue. <laughs> I'm hoping that maybe some of you will decide that it's time to step into the water, you know. Um, <clears throat> I also want to make sure everyone understands and remembers why this is important and what it means. So let me start by reminding you that on Sunday, August 15th, we will reconvene. We'll meet here on Sunday morning, and then we'll reconvene at 5 p.m. at Abrams Park for a church-wide barbecue and baptism. Um, this, we do this every year. It's a blast. Uh, it's catered. Um, you know, this is the real deal. This is not like hot dogs, okay? We're at brisket, all right? I mean, the king of barbecue. Brisket and pulled pork and all the sides. Family man barbecue, the smoke house is right there. We'll have it there. It'll be awesome. Don't miss it. We're paying a lot of money because we're, we're counting on a crowd. So be there. Bring your friends, friends and family. Um, uh, Jason Mittman always has plenty of food. So uh, hope you make it. Uh, August 15th. And, um, you know, if you, if you, if you want to think about maybe it's time for you to be baptized, then just let me know. There's time for us to get together and, and make plans to do that. And that is my big question. For some of you today, one that I'll repeat throughout this message, and it's going to be one of those messages that people may ask friends and family members to listen to online, because I'm going to be saying things that don't get said. Uh, and we all know somebody who needs to hear these things. Some of you love someone enough to ask them to listen. So here's the question for everyone who's here today, everyone who will listen later. When it comes to baptism, what are you waiting for? Many people are very confused about baptism. In fact, I'd say that generally even most Christians don't really get baptism. Even some of you who think you get it might still need a tweak or two in your understanding of baptism. I know I personally needed to make some adjustments over the last few years as I've really sought to understand biblical baptism better. Maybe we can all stand to think about this some more. The only place to get authoritative information about baptism is from the Word of God. The Bible. And so I'm going to focus on several truths that wind up forming a solid summation of everything the Bible has to say about baptism. I'm going to talk about what baptism is and what it isn't. And again, I'll be asking, what are you waiting for? I want to start by stating clearly that we do not believe baptism by itself saves people from sin. Okay? Grace received through faith in Christ saves you, not baptism. So, to be clear, simply being baptized in water will not wash away your sins or get you into heaven. In truth, I think just about the only one who maybe believes water baptism saves by itself without faith is Nacho. From Nacho Libre. Take a look. Nobody but Nacho believes baptism alone saves people. For the most part, churches of different stripes all agree that there must be faith in Christ for a person to be saved. We all agree that faith in Jesus is necessary. However, some do wrongly teach that faith by itself is not enough without other things tacked on. But let's put the idea to rest that anyone believes that just dump, dunking someone in water magically saves them by itself. Having said that, as you know, there are plenty of differing views on baptism, even enough to split us into denominations. 
And because of these differing views, and since most people have actually bounced around to different kinds of churches, they are left with a hodgepodge of differing ideas, many of which are overreactions to others' ideas, until I'm afraid the average church-going Christian is totally confused about baptism. What I want to do is focus on clear truths from Scripture. In so doing, I hope to correct some misconceptions. And ultimately, I sincerely hope that even a few people in this room will come to understand their own need to be baptized as soon as possible. That is my goal. I'll just tell you that ahead of time. There are people sitting in this room here today who have not experienced biblical baptism. Some have never been baptized at all. Others have never been baptized in a biblical way. Now, I'm hoping that this very day, some of you will make a decision to follow Jesus in biblical baptism. Before I go on, I want to clearly state even once more that salvation does not happen through the act of baptism. As was the case for the criminal on the cross, if you were to make a decision to trust Christ as Savior and then to die before baptism could be performed, you would still go to heaven. But folks, what bothers me is that many in the church today want to cheer those kinds of statements. Uh, as if we receive gold stars for making sure to keep baptism in its relatively unimportant place. As if we were somehow charged with making sure everyone sort of sees baptism as optional. Not really all that important. Ironically, I think Baptist preachers like me are often the worst. The message may challenge those, this one may challenge those of you who come from a Baptist background like me. In places. Uh, if you come from a Catholic or Lutheran background, you will definitely be challenged. <laughs> My guess is that some of this will be a bit challenging for almost everybody. That's generally what happens when we peel back the layers of what man has said about something to find out what God actually said about it. Fasten your seatbelts. I'm going to tackle this subject by making six truth statements based on Scripture. Half of these will be stated in the positive and half in the negative. Each statement is related to the previous one. We could actually put a therefore in between each of these statements because one flows into the next and is based on the previous. So here we go. Number one, baptism is your profession of faith. Baptism is your profession of faith. What does this mean? To profess your faith in Christ is to make your belief in him public. This is the purpose of baptism. Baptism is the outward sign of the inward decision that you put your faith in Jesus. As a wedding ring, Shows that you are married. Doesn't make you married, but it shows that you are married to other people. So baptism shows that you are saved. Jesus said that if we are ashamed of him before men, he will be ashamed of us before the Father. Paul says it's at the point when we confess Jesus as Lord in front of other people after believing on him in our hearts that we are saved. Romans 10, 9 through 10. The Bible is abundantly clear that there must be an outward expression of our personal decision to trust in Christ. If there's no willingness to make an outward profession of faith, we can know that there's no true inward belief either. Those who truly come to understand who Jesus is and who believe in what he has done for them on the cross and who put their faith in him want to make that decision known. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened in their life. True believers take their stand with Jesus. Have you done that? Have you taken your stand with Jesus? Have you made your faith public? Have you made a public profession of your faith in Jesus Christ? If you have been biblically baptized, you have. 
But where do I get the idea that baptism is the principal way we do this? And let's be honest, many churches in the evangelical tradition teach or once taught that the profession of faith happens when you walk the aisle at invitation time, right? Growing up, uh, I know my pastors would typically say someone came forward. They came forward and made a profession of faith. And that's not necessarily wrong, but where does it leave baptism? In truth, the altar call was a tradition started by a Presbyterian minister named Charles Finney during the Second Great Awakening. It took place in the middle of the 19th century. For more than 1,800 years after Christ, there had never been such a thing. In fact, nothing of this nature is found in Scripture. I'm not saying that the altar call was a bad thing, and indeed, it's a very good thing for many of you, and it was a good thing for me. I'm not opposed to doing an altar call, and I've done them on occasion, but I don't do them all the time. And one of the reasons is that in elevating the altar call or walking the aisle, the point of baptism can become somewhat diminished. When churches started equating walking the aisle with a public profession of faith, the purpose of baptism began to be misunderstood in our churches. So, is there a verse of scripture that explicitly says baptism is our profession of faith? No, not explicitly, no. However, what we see demonstrated in scripture time after time is baptism functioning as the profession of faith. Virtually every single person who was saved in the New Testament was immediately baptized, all but one actually, criminal on the cross I mentioned. Every single other person was baptized in order to demonstrate outwardly the inward decision to receive Jesus. Not a single one of them walked down an aisle. But every single one of them who could be was baptized right away. Over and over again we see baptism functioning as a person's profession of faith in Christ. Every conversion recorded in the New Testament included an immediate baptism. In Scripture, baptism was absolutely the way a person made public his or her faith decision to trust in Christ as Savior every single time. Let's look at the original evangelistic moment for the church. That is, when the first 3,000 people came to faith in Christ on the day of Pentecost, Peter had been preaching, and he just used Old Testament prophecies about the Christ to open the eyes of the people so they could see that they had missed the Messiah. The Messiah had come, but they had not believed in him. And as you'll see, because of the resurrection, they were ready to change their minds. In this scene, unbelievers become believers, okay? Putting their trust in Christ. From Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 36, Peter continues his sermon saying, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified, kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. <laughs> So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Now, a person could misunderstand this passage on the side of saying that these people were saved through the act of baptism. A person could even misinterpret this to mean that it's literally by baptism that sins are forgiven. And just reading this alone without any other scripture or biblical context could lead one to such a conclusion. And as I've said already, that would be a mistake. 
However, one could not interpret this to mean that baptism is unimportant or completely unrelated to salvation. Now, we must conclude rather that baptism is intimately connected to the experience of being saved. What we actually see here, if we look carefully, is that baptism is a new believer's profession of faith. We see that people had gone from unbelief to belief. Where? In their hearts. They were pierced to the heart, it says. They had realized their error and were convicted of unbelief by the Holy Spirit. They were ready to repent. And repent of what? Of sin habits? Bad stuff they had done? No, not really. That's not what this is about. They were ready to repent of rejecting or ignoring Christ. And failing to place their trust in Him as Savior. They were ready to repent of their unbelief. And to repent of unbelief, you see, is true belief. They were, in fact, each one making a decision to turn to Christ for salvation. And because of this new spark of faith from the heart, they said, What now? What must we do? They said, Tell us what's next. Almost in a panic, they said, How do we respond to what just happened in our hearts? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized. And you see, they they went straight to the water that day. Baptism was the way that they made public their inward decision to repent of unbelief and put their trust in Jesus instead. Baptism was their profession of faith. It's how they made it outward in public. So intimately connected to this moment of saving faith to salvation that this account and many others put baptism right there with salvation. Almost as if they were two sides of the coin. Let me give you another example from Acts 8, 12. The Bible says, But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. When they believed, when they believed, they were baptized. In other words, right after they believed, they were baptized. And that's the consistent pattern of Scripture. Now, note that it was always after they believed. Never before, always after. And the fact that baptism came after belief, along with the fact that it was outward and visible, tells us that baptism functioned as a public profession of personal faith in Christ. Indeed, had someone refused baptism, I don't think there's a single one of the apostles who would have considered that person saved. Why? Because they were refusing to publicly profess their faith in Christ in the way that he said we should. People who were saved were baptized. In the Bible, people were baptized as if to sign on the dotted line, (laughs) to seal the deal, to make sure they were officially counted among those who had converted to Christ, those who were now part of his true church, and to show everyone they were not ashamed of their faith in Jesus. Now, I want to also point out that the nature of baptism is important when it comes to how it functions as a profession of faith. Because someone might ask, why the dunking in water? Why is it not enough to walk down an aisle? Or even just to stand up and say, I believe in Jesus. That's a profession of faith by itself, so why the water? Also, why submersion instead of sprinkling or pouring or something of that nature? To put it simply, submersion in water represents the most important tenets of what we are actually believing. The water represents death and the grave, both Christ and our own. Going into and coming out of water represents our belief that Jesus went into and came out of the grave. That he died and rose again to cleanse us from our sins. Submersion and emergence from the water also symbolizes the fact that we are now dead to our old life. 
and alive in Christ, able now to walk in newness of life with him. This is what we're professing to believe publicly as we are baptized. As Paul put it in Romans 6, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk, live in newness of life. It isn't difficult to see the intended imagery of baptism in those verses. But here's one other verse from Colossians. Having been buried with him in baptism. See, we're walking through with this with Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You were buried with him in baptism. And you were also raised up with him in baptism. But what if you're not baptized? See, the clear symbolism in this picture and, and, and why our profession of faith needs to involve submersion in water is that it's the picture of the gospel. We're not believing in just anything but in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and what it means for us. Not incidentally, the very word baptize in the Greek literally means to sink someone or something in water. It does not mean to sprinkle or to pour. When I'm baptized, I publicly profess that I believe in and have put my trust in what? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he went under and came out, I can go under <laughs> and come out. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We don't have to fear death. Through baptism, our profession of faith is a proclamation of the gospel story. I wonder if Jesus knew what he was doing when he said, I want you to submerge people in water and raise them up out of it as a public way to identify them as my disciple. Now, having explained that baptism by submersion is a new believer's profession of faith, how important is it? Is baptism perhaps more than just bonus material? What does it say if a person claims to have been saved in private but refuses to be baptized as a public profession of their faith? And so I'll ask again, what are you waiting for? Let's move on to the second truth statement, which is this. Baptism is not optional. It's not optional. Let me point out that if you read the New Testament, you don't see new believers given the option to put off baptism for maybe later. Have you noticed this? You don't see someone being converted and then the messenger saying, now, what do you think about baptism? Never. There's no option given. We can read account after account after account, and every time it's simply so-and-so believed and was baptized, period. Never do we read so-and-so believed, but decided to think about baptism for a while. Never, not once. Baptism was commanded by Christ right along with the idea of becoming a disciple. The truth is that there's simply no separation between salvation and baptism in the New Testament. They're always right there together. Jesus himself said, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Some of us that, that would struggle with that. It's like, ah. well, at least he did go on and say, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. You know, that, that gives us a little bit, okay. But after reading those first words that I have underlined there of Christ, is there still a believer out there who feels like you should wait a while to be baptized? Jesus said these words, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. I don't think we want to wait. 
I don't think a true believer can read those words from the Savior and still want to put off baptism. You know, I mean, Jesus simply assumes that salvation and baptism are a package deal. Not optional, closely connected. Let me just read another couple verses to show the importance of baptism. The Apostle Peter writes, When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience, there's the faith, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. You still think baptism is just kind of an add-on? I don't think so. And I could spend a bunch of time explaining why Peter did not mean that baptism by itself is literally what saves a person. He was using a simile corresponding to the flood, and baptism was the corresponding piece because of the water. But I'm not going to spend time telling you that, what it didn't mean, because what most of us need to get from these verses is not a lower view of baptism. We're really good at that. What we need is to have a higher view of baptism. Listen, we stray from Scripture and put ourselves on shaky ground when we present baptism as if it were optional. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven without baptism. But I am saying, based on Scripture, that something crucial is missing if you have not been baptized as a public profession of your faith in Christ. So I ask again, what are you waiting for? Third truth, baptism is your first step of discipleship. Your first step to follow Jesus. Your first step of discipleship. Discipleship is what happens after you're saved. Discipleship is the process of learning from Christ, being changed by Christ, and following or obeying Christ. And the primary concept I want to communicate here keys off the word first. Baptism is not step 12 of discipleship. Baptism is not something you will eventually get around to after you become more spiritually mature. Baptism is not something to put off until you get your life all straightened out. Hear me. Baptism is the very first step necessary if you are serious about following Jesus. I think it's necessary to be baptized first if you really want to follow Jesus. You can't skip step one. It's the first step, not the 12th step, not the 26th step. Again, we know this simply by the example of every single account we can read in Scripture. Never once did someone become a believer and then wait until they got everything straight in their life to be baptized. I could give many examples, but here's one. From Acts chapter 18, Luke records, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Now, as leader of the synagogue, Crispus presumably would have been a Jewish convert, but it also says many of the Corinthians were believing and being baptized. Okay, so what do we know about these these Corinthians? They were Greeks, pagans, far from God. To be blunt, they were extremely immoral people. They were not God-fearing Jews who tried to follow the law of God and came to believe in Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah like Crispus. They were Corinthians, and that was kind of like saying they were Stereotypical Portlanders (laughs) in terms of their beliefs and behaviors. You could probably pick your city, to be honest. The church at Corinth was Paul's most difficult church, partly because the Corinthians were known for extreme immorality. 
Some people think the Northwest is pretty rough, morally speaking. The Northwest has nothing on Corinth, nothing at all. These people had no idea about right and wrong. They were sinning sinners who sinisterly sinned even on Sundays, okay? <laughs> now, here's what I want you to notice. Does it say that these morally bankrupt heathens were believing, correcting all the immorality in their lives, and then being baptized? <laughs> no. It includes the baptism, baptizing right along with the believing, as does every single example in the entire Bible. Think about this. Does anyone ever get all the sin out of their lives on the day they decide to put their faith and trust in Christ? <laughs> Obviously not. Never. Typically, people don't even get the so-called big sins out of their lives on day one. You know, I mean, if you have an addiction, that addiction's not always broken that very day, is it? Uh, something changes radically on the inside at the moment when we are saved. Make no mistake. But outward life change is a process that happens over time. This has always been the case, and yet every single person we read about in Scripture was baptized on the same day that they believed. They weren't even given time to think about changes God might want to make in their lives. Uh, they didn't know what needed to change. They hadn't read the Bible. They didn't even own a Bible. They did not yet know the commands of Christ. The fact is that for New Testament converts, the changes came after baptism, not before. Life change comes as a part of an ongoing discipleship process made possible by the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. We can see very clearly in the letters to the churches, they didn't have all the sin out of their lives from day one any more than we do in our church. And yet there's an interesting thing to notice about all of those believing yet still messed up people in the churches. All of those people who still needed to be corrected morally had something in common with each other in every church. Every last one of them had already been baptized. Remember the Philippian jailer? We'll actually read that story in a few minutes, but just recall for a second that this idol-worshiping Roman, this soldier was saved and then baptized on the same night. Do you think he, like, in between, he went home and threw out all his idols from his house and, you know, before Paul and Silas baptized him in the middle of the night? What about his relationship with his wife? Did they have a biblical marriage? Had there been a Judeo-Christian wedding? No, he was a Roman. They would have sacrificed animals to multiple gods at the wedding. That's what they did. But Paul didn't wait for any of that to be fixed or for him to understand that any of that was even wrong before baptizing the Philippian jailer. Now, many would cringe if a pastor were to baptize such a person on the same day of his salvation today. I mean, think of a notor notorious sinner who everyone knows is a bad guy. Uh, and suddenly he comes to believe in Jesus through the ministry of our church. And let's say I baptize him that very day. You might be thinking, oh no, pastor, what if it doesn't stick? What if this man doesn't stop eating food sacrificed to idols? <laughs> or whatever it is today. But what did Paul and Silas do when this sinful, pagan, Roman soldier put his trust in Christ? They went out and found water that very night and baptized him. It's the very first thing they did. What about the Great Commission? Uh, would it not make sense to consider the order of things? Jesus put out his marching orders in step-by-step -step form. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, all people groups. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. One, make disciples. Two, baptize them. Three, teach them to obey my commands. 
But we often try to put at least some of step three before step two, don't we? We're afraid of baptizing people until they've obeyed at least, you know, some of the commands. Get a few things right and maybe we'll go to the water. But that's not what Jesus said. It's not what we see in the New Testament. In case you don't really get what I'm saying, some churches would fire their pastor if he baptized a couple living together but not yet married. Just so you know, I've done exactly that many times. (laughs) You're fired. Hope not. Um, I also told them their soldier, uh, their their savior would uh, want them to get married or stop sleeping together as soon as possible. But uh, I didn't make their baptism contingent on anything other than their profession of faith in Christ. Nor did the apostle Paul or any other pastor in scripture. Same goes for any other situation where a person is living in sin. You have an addiction, really bad addiction, really embarrassing addiction. Don't even think about trying to break that addiction before you're baptized. If you've trusted in Christ, get baptized as soon as possible. Then work on the addiction. Quick disclaimer, I'm not saying anyone should be baptized without at least understanding what they're signing up for. If you're baptized, you're making a commitment to follow Christ wherever he leads. You're signing up for life change. God is going to change you. You will learn to obey his commands. In fact, if you do not, then the book of James and other scripture tells us that would prove your faith was empty and useless. You really weren't saved. But, what life change, but, but, but while life change is proof of salvation, it's certainly not salvation itself. And life change comes after baptism. Because baptism has always been the first step of discipleship. But what if we baptize someone on their profession of faith and later they prove that faith was not real because they never change or eventually they even turn away and deny Jesus? What then? Well, in short, that is not something we can control. Nor should we concern ourselves about it. Wait. Really? Listen, I'm, I'm, just, this is, I'm just Pastor Mark. I'm not the Apostle Mark. Uh, if the apostles didn't worry about it, what am I trying to do? Am I really going to pick certain sins and say, you can't be baptized until you stop that or start this? On what basis? Certainly not on any kind of biblical basis. There's no biblical basis for that. Even the early church, there were people who were baptized, but sadly turned out to be wolves among the sheep. They didn't know either. They turned out to be sometimes false teachers. Those who returned to idolatry. People who later denied Christ. They didn't know. They had to baptize people on their profession of faith, just like we do. You know, God even struck down some folks. Remember that? Like Ananias and Sapphira? Just to make sure everybody knew they were not actually his. God can handle that. The sifting, the pruning. It is sad. It is, it's the hardest thing in ministry. It's the worst thing in ministry when somebody turns and proves to not have really put their trust in Christ later. It is hard. I hate it. But only God knows the heart. Only God knows. And he will handle it. As for me, all I can do is baptize people upon their profession of faith in Jesus. Now, let me tell you something I've seen over the long haul of experience. People who claim to be saved 
But don't take the step of baptism. Maybe they think they got to get something straight first. Maybe they just are afraid of it. Whatever, different reasons. They get saved, but they don't get baptized. They go nowhere fast in their walk with Christ. I mean, one of the best ways to ensure someone has stunted growth is to hold off on baptism. On the other hand, many times, many times, I've seen a straying Christian who never was biblically baptized earlier have their life turned around by God at the point when they finally decided to be baptized and make a public profession of faith the way God said we should. We must stop separating salvation and baptism because it means that real people never even get started with the discipleship process. They never take step two or three or ten in the growth process because they never took step one by being baptized. Some of you haven't gone very far in your walk with Christ because you never took the first step after your conversion. Baptism. That brings me to the fourth truth. Baptism is not disconnected from salvation. By now this should be obvious, but I want to deal with it even more directly. Let's look at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch from Acts chapter 8. The Ethiopian had been reading scripture and Philip asked if he understood. The Ethiopian said, how can I without a teacher? Inviting Philip to share with him. Picking it up in verse 35, Luke tells us, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Obviously, Philip had been sharing, and as he shared about the gospel, he shared about baptism. Another point. And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Again, we see how baptism is connected to saving faith, not disconnected. I mentioned earlier the story of the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas had been thrown into the darkest part of the dungeon in a hole. Basically, they were in stocks, and yet they were singing hymns of praise to God. The Bible says everyone was listening to them, and then there was an earthquake throwing open the gates. The jailer, thinking he would be tortured and killed by his superiors, was about to kill himself instead, but Paul stopped him. And told him they hadn't left, so all was well. Picking it up in verse 29, the Bible says, And he, the jailer, called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with all his household. When the jailer asked how to be saved, they pointed him to faith in the Lord Jesus. But then, after he believed, they baptized him that very night. And the verses before this tell us it was after midnight at the time. After midnight, they found water. Baptism is not disconnected from salvation. What are you waiting for? Number five, baptism is a powerful act of worship. It's a powerful act of worship. Make no mistake, something powerful happens through baptism. Something spiritual happens, something heavenly. Jesus was baptized in order to set the example, and God's voice thundered from heaven that he was pleased. To bring God pleasure in one sense is to worship him. 
Let's pick up the story of Jesus' baptism from Matthew chapter 3, starting verse 16. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Don't miss the fact that the baptism of Jesus sparked a supernatural response from heaven. God could have made a statement like this about his son at any time. But he chose to do, in, do this first at the occasion of his baptism. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think baptism is a powerful act of worship. It means something to God. It's pleasing to God. I think God responds to baptism perhaps like nothing else. I believe when a new son or daughter of God is baptized, he wants that person to hear that same kind of voice in his or her heart, a voice that says, this is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. God's worshiped through baptism. And he responds by expressing his pleasure in the one being baptized. I'm saying to you that I actually believe God responds in a supernatural way when a person is baptized in the name of Jesus. He's there and he does something. It takes me to the last truth. Baptism is not merely an ineffective symbol. It's not merely an ineffective symbol. Many of the pastors I've experienced, including when I was growing up, have gone to such great lengths to say that baptism does not save a person that I'm afraid they inadvertently downgraded the importance of baptism. You know, it's the whole spiel about how, you know, there's, no, there's nothing magic in this water. If I've heard that once, there's nothing magic in this water. And I get where they were coming from. But they go on about how, I, you know, Everyone should remember this is all just a symbol. All of that. You'll notice I don't make that spiel when I baptize people. Somehow I just don't think that's what Peter or Paul or Jesus would be taking their time to say if they were here baptizing people today. I think it more likely they would remind us of how this person being baptized is now a child of God and is never going to be the same, has moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They would not dilute the power and the incredible meaningfulness of baptism. Think back even to John the Baptist who was baptizing people before Jesus came on the scene. The Bible says his was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what the Bible says. It was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This forgiveness was not a complete forgiveness like what was coming through Christ. But my point is that even the baptism of John had some kind of spiritual power connected with it. Maybe that makes some of you nervous. To say baptism had spiritual power. But the Bible indicates that some level of God's forgiveness was granted even with the baptism of John. That's spiritual power. Even the baptism of John was not merely an ineffective symbol. Later, Jesus asked some of his detractors a question. As recorded in Mark chapter 11, Jesus said, Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning about themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Implied is that Jesus considered the baptism of John to be from heaven. God used it to prepare people's hearts for Christ. If God used the baptism of John to prepare people's hearts for Jesus, Jesus, does it not stand a reason that he would use baptism in the name of Christ for some spiritual effective purpose as well? I believe something powerful happens through baptism. I believe God responds. I believe something clicks that doesn't click otherwise. I've seen it too many times. 
I believe baptism is the beginning of powerful life change in the person who is obedient enough to be baptized in front of the church. Folks, I do believe baptism has more than symbolic value. That there's some kind of intangible spiritual effect caused by God through baptism. A spark of spiritual growth perhaps like the germination of a seed. Now think about this for a minute. Would we not say as much about simply reading the word of God? We would say that God does something through Bible study that's beyond the natural. We know it isn't merely academic when we read the Bible. We'd say there's spiritual growth through listening to biblical sermons. Growth that can't be explained merely as, as receiving information or gaining in knowledge. That God does something through that. Something powerful. Something real. Should we not afford at least the same kind of spiritual power to baptism? Must we strip it down to an ineffective symbol? To people, until people are like, why bother? I don't think so. I think baptism is much more important than we have often made it out to be. And I think that's the reason Jesus commanded us to do it. I believe baptism is intended to mark the beginning of the new life of the Christian, that God responds to this act of obedience by doing some kind of work to kickstart spiritual growth. We're missing out on something spiritually until we are baptized. It's not merely an ineffective symbol. So hear me now. What are you waiting for? I told you my goal in the beginning. I wanted some of you to see the need to be baptized. So is anyone ready to get on with it? If so, please use your connections card that's in your bulletin. Drop it in a box to communicate with me about it or just come talk to me. You can email me. My email's in the bulletin. Either way, hopefully we can get you signed up to be baptized on August 15th. Now, when I, we'll have a little talk. Make sure you, you understand what you're doing. When I talk to people one-on-one -on -one about baptism, you know what the main point of that talk is? Whether they're children or adults. The main point is to make sure they've already put their faith in Christ to help them to do so as we talk if they have not because baptism is step two in terms of your salvation. You've got to be saved before you're baptized. It's step one in discipleship, but it's step two in salvation, okay? So we've got to make sure that you've really put your faith in Christ. If you don't really need to talk about that, we can talk about it. But that's what that talk is, making sure that you've done that so that it can be your profession of faith because you've got to really have faith before you can profess, profess it. So many places in the Bible make it clear that you have to make a decision. Baptism is that outward sign of an inward decision. You have to decide to follow Jesus. Some people are saying we don't talk like that anymore. They can, I don't agree. You have to decide. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. There's a moment where you have to respond to the powerful voice of God and say yes to Jesus. Put your trust in him, what he did on the cross. If you want to be baptized, you have to do that first. So I don't want to let this moment go by without giving you that opportunity. So we're just going to, I just ask if you would just bow your head with me. And if you're a person who, you want to be baptized, you, you just, you want this. You want to follow Jesus but you've never really had a moment where you gave him your life or you responded. You could do that right now in your heart. That moment like we read about where they were pierced to the heart. 
or they understood somehow really powerfully that they're not going to be okay with God. There's a conviction of sin. There's an understanding you're not okay. God has already paid the price for your sin, but you've not received his forgiveness. You've not received Christ. You've not asked. You've not responded. Well, today, right now, you can. You can just say, yes, I want Jesus to save me. We know from many examples in Scripture, it doesn't take lots of words. It's about your heart. Would you turn to Christ today? Would you turn away from yourself, from all the other ways that you maybe were trying to be okay with God, and just turn and repent, we call it, and just put your trust and faith in Christ and say, I'm putting it all in on Jesus. I only, my only hope is you save my life. Save me. Forgive my sin. just needs to happen in your heart. Just give your life to Jesus right now. And let's just say that that happened for someone here today. How do we ever know about it? Well, you could tell people, you could tell me, I hope you will. But the very best way that you can let everyone know and the biblical way to do that is to be baptized. Because when you're baptized, that's exactly what you're saying. I believe. I'm one of those that believe. Count me in with those who believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose again. And that in so doing, he can give me eternal life. Would you just turn to Jesus today and just say, okay, today. It's today. Today's my birthday in Jesus. And if so, I hope you'll let me know and we can talk about your baptism. So everybody can rejoice. Thank you, God, for meeting with us here today. Thank you that your word is not really unclear. We just need to look at it. And then it becomes clear. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.